listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast recorded July 18th, 2016. The Great Commission Part 2. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We are continuing our series on the Great Commission. Last week, we talked about authority, that Jesus has been given all power and authority. And so we looked at what does Jesus do with power and authority? That power and authority that we share with Christ because we are in him, we have to understand what that means for us. We have to understand what Jesus does with authority because what Jesus does with authority is important to how we make disciples. And what we discovered is Jesus lays down his power and authority. And so essentially for us to make disciples, that means that we have to be people of sacrifice. It's going to be sacrifice um, for us to make disciples. So today we're continuing on and we're going to look further into the Great Commission. When I was in college, um, I was studying uh, tuba. I have a degree in tuba performance, and uh, I got the opportunity to study with the very best tuba player in Los Angeles. Uh, This guy, he's been on every single movie soundtrack. He's a studio musician and just an incredible tuba player. It was a real privilege and honor to get to study with him. And... uh, and in our studio at the, at the college, there's about six of us who all play tuba who are studying under um, our tuba instructor. And one of the things we did as being under him is we, we all warmed up the same way. We all did the same routines. We all worked on the same technique um, that our instructor uh, gave us. And then every once in a while, we'd get together with other students from other colleges that our tuba instructor taught at, and what we discovered is that we actually all warmed up the same way and worked on the exact same things and the same routines and the same etudes, and that was because we were all disciples of our tuba instructor, that we wanted to do everything the way he did it, the way he taught, because he was the very, very best in the industry. And the way that we continue and grow as musicians is to copy and imitate the very best. And so essentially, we were disciples uh, of our tuba instructor. Now today we're looking at what does it mean for us to go and make disciples. And essentially that word disciple simply means followers. So let's read in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, it's that same text we read last week, but I want us to get this ingrained in our heads, so here we go. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So today we're going to focus on the therefore go. Jesus has been given power and authority, and when we are in him, we share in that power and authority, and we saw Jesus' example of power and authority. So we're going to look at what does it mean to be disciples? What does it mean to make disciples? Uh, Early on in Jesus' ministry, he gathered a ragtag bunch of guys um, that are known as the Twelve disciples. Some of them were tax collectors, others of them were fishermen. They had odd jobs. And one of the th- what happened in Jesus's day is every young Jewish boy, um, their family wanted them to eventually become a rabbi. And so they would start off very young, um, memorizing ma- um, mass amounts of scripture, more scripture than we have memorized today. In fact, um, probably they say probably by the time a, a child was eight or nine, they probably had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, which is incredible. And so it, it makes me feel like a slacker, right, compared to what um, what those early Jewish kids were doing. And eventually, as they grew up, eventually there would be cuts made. Some kids just didn't have what it would take. And so essentially what would happen is they would go back to the family trade. They would go back to um, to working in the shop. They would go back to um, fishing. And so when Jesus goes and he calls his disciples, he goes to a ragtag bunch of teenage boys who essentially have probably been uh, uh, eliminated uh, from from becoming rabbis, from, from moving on up. And Jesus asks them to follow him. Jesus asks them to uh, make this uh, to to be discipled by him. He's all come and follow me. And what's interesting is we notice that there's like no hesitation. Like they they just drop what they're doing. And they follow him because in Jesus's day and age, being discipled, following a rabbi, was a great honor. Was a great honor. And so we have this ragtag bunch of guys who are following Jesus, and it is truly an honor to follow the rabbi. And so what they would do is they would watch the rabbi. They would watch every single thing that Jesus did. They would watch where he walks, how he walks, who he talks to, how he talks to them, uh, when he sleeps, why he sleeps, why he rests now. And they would follow Jesus. And and we see um, the disciples following Jesus throughout the Old Testament. We see their good points and their low points. We see them arguing about who's going to be first. We see them pointing out to Jesus, Jesus, look at all these giant rocks. Look at these massive buildings. And Jesus corrects them and says, why are you so impressed with this when I'm right in front of you? Right? We, we get this image of these disciples who don't always get it right and who, in fact, miss it. And yet, these are the guys that Jesus calls to follow him. They're not the very best, but they're the ones that are called by Jesus. These are the ones who get the opportunity to walk in the dust of the rabbi, follow him closely in everything that he does, and learn how he does it. Growing up in the church, I think one of the the very blessings of um, being part of a church community is being discipled uh, by uh, people that are older than you. Uh, I remember as a junior high and high school kid, uh, my church had youth leaders that invested in me. 
And oftentimes I thought we were just hanging out, but what we were actually doing was I was learning what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because of the ways that the people who were older than me, who took time to spend time with me, lived their life. And I think today, like how often do we have people that are older than us that have been walking uh, with the Lord longer that intentionally come to us and say, hey, I want to spend time with you. I want to hang out with you. And, And that we take that opportunity and we realize there is something to be learned here. There is something to be gained. Uh, one of the blessings I'm currently in the recording process for, um, our friends church EFCSW and, and I get the privilege to be discipled by one of our other pastors. Uh, we get together once a month and we talk about ministry. We talk about the successes. We talk about the failures, the hurts, and the pain, and it's this intentional discipleship, and and it helps me grow in the Lord. See, we need to be discipled if we're going to make disciples. And oftentimes, I, my, my fear for us as Christians is we spend too much time focusing on a conversion experience. We notice in the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't th- say, therefore, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples, which means followers. Now, following is a journey. It's a path. It's not a one-time thing, but it's a continual movement, right? Following is a continual movement. I think oftentimes we spend a lot of time focusing on people saying a prayer and saying, okay, great, they're saved. And then we get into debates about once saved and always saved. And I don't think we're supposed to be necessarily having those conversations. What we're supposed to be talking about is what does it mean to walk with Jesus? Because because being a disciple, being a follower is not a one-time event, but it's a continual walk. It's a continual relationship. And so Jesus invites us to make disciples, to make followers. And we ourselves are to be disciples. We ourselves are to be followers. And so as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, what are some good stories? What are some good examples of the disciple and follower relationship? And I, we, we talked about the disciples who followed Jesus, but I think there's another great example in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, and it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, we're starting in verse 1, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul has this relationship with Timothy. Paul, as we know, picked up Timothy in one of his missionary journeys. 
in Acts. And now Timothy, he serves as a pastor, as a missionary in Ephesus. Now in Ephesus, they had a phrase there that went like this, whatever happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. Ephesus was a seaport. So that means that lots of people were always coming and going. And any place where a lot of people are coming and going, you have the ability to be anonymous. You can enter into a city. Nobody really knows you. You can go and do whatever you want, whatever you see fit, and then leave back to your homeland or wherever you call home. And nobody is going to know what happened. You can go there and live an alternate life and essentially be anonymous. And in Ephesus, there were many gods that people worshipped. And in fact, um, they worshipped a god that, that when they got drunk, they believed that they actually became like the god. Or, or there was gods that they would practice different sexual acts and they believed that made them closer to God. And this is the environment in which Timothy ministered to. And I imagine that serving in such a place is a real challenge. Right? You have people always coming and going and doing whatever they see fit. They can go and be anonymous. And I imagine ministering in Ephesus, at times you just want to give up. You just want to quit. So when Paul writes him to Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what Paul is essentially doing, this, this is a letter of encouragement. When we read Timothy, we're, we're reading Paul's discipleship of Timothy. And ministry is hard in Ephesus. And I imagine what we're going to see here is I imagine that there's points in, in, in Timothy's ministry where he just wants to give up. Is it really worth it? Because what we see over and over and over in this letter is Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Let's continue on into chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says this, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So let's break down some of these metaphors, right? Here's Timothy. Ministry is hard. Probably feels like giving up. And what does Paul say? He says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he gives this analogy that a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. And if you think about the role of a soldier, the role of the soldier is to always be ready for battle. And a soldier is very aware of the battle that is in front of them. Many civilians don't necessarily see the battle, the war. And so if a soldier is getting entangled in civilian affairs, they're not seeing the battle that's right in front of them. And so what Paul is encouraging Timothy is saying, you are in a battle. And, and, and so a good soldier has to be ready for battle. See, what I see is a lot of Christians, it's almost as if they're getting punched in the face by the enemy. 
and they're walking around. Why am I getting punched in the face? Why, why would the enemy do this? It's because, dear friends, we are in a battle. And so no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He's always ready. He's always listening to the commanding officer ready because they are in the midst of a battle. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have to understand that there are forces at work that are against you, and you have to be ready. Then he goes on and gives another analogy. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. I imagine somebody getting ready to run a race. They're all at the starting line. Their their heart is racing. They get into position. They're looking straight forward ahead, getting ready to run, waiting for the sound of the gun to go off. And when the sound of the gun goes off, the, the, the runners take off and sprint for the finish line. Now, one of the ways that you win a race is being the fastest, by competing. Nobody wins by giving up. Nobody wins the race by staying at the starting line when the gun goes off. And, and this, is, this is what it's like for us as Christians, is, is, is that there is a race, and some of us are choosing not to run the race. Some of us are choosing not to compete, but there is a victory at the end. And so here's Timothy. I imagine he just wants to give up, and, and Paul's saying, it's, it's kind of like a race. If you want to finish, you want, if, you, if you want to get the prize at the end, you've got to run the race. Or, or maybe it's like a hardworking farmer who, who, who plants a crop and, and gets, gets to receive the, his share of the crops because he planted, he worked the ground. Right, The one who does the work should, should receive the harvest. And he's saying, keep going, keep going, Timothy. See, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Why? Because living for Christ is hard. And when it feels like you're the only one, it's even harder. And so one of the reasons why I believe Jesus calls us to make disciples, calls us to make followers, is because you can't do it on your own. You need to be discipled, and you need to be discipling someone else. And this is, the, this is what we're supposed to be as the church. We're supposed to be discipling one another. We're supposed to be encouraging one another in our faith. Because you know what? We live in a world not too different than Timothy's. And I think what, what happens is when, when the world is putting pressure on us, when, when there is suffering, when there is hurt, and when there is pain, what do we think to do? We think to give up. We, we want to get tied up in civilian affairs. We, we want to not run the race anymore. We don't even want to work hard for our share of the crops. Because what we need is a Paul in our life, right? We need somebody to say, join with me in suffering. Join me. See, Paul is encouraging Timothy. 
See, we need to be discipled because like Timothy, we live where it's easy to be bent towards the direction of culture. Right? In Timothy's world, there are so many outside forces that are pressuring him. And and just like Timothy, there are so many outside forces that are pressuring us. Last week, we talked about how that we are all, all being formed to something, aren't we? You know, whether, whether it's we're being formed into the likeness of our Facebook page, whether we're being formed by um, what we see on TV, whether it's being um, uh, formed by the people we hang around with, we are all being formed to something. And so we as the church, one of the, the roles of the church is spiritual formation. We're supposed to be formed into the likeness of Christ, and that happens through discipleship. And so we need to be dis- discipled just like Timothy. We need to have a Paul in our life because culture is wants to push us in a certain direction. I just want to highlight three ways that I believe that we as the church are experiencing this, this pull, this push, if you will. To, to to abandon our faith. And the, and the first one is this, consumerism. What, what's happened with consumerism is we treat one another, we relate to one another based on what we get out of a relationship. Right? Consumerism just isn't what you buy, but it's ingrained into the very, very fabric of how we relate to one another. That's why marriage is so important. You see, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not, well, as long as you give me what I want and I give you what you want, this can work out. We can be together. See, we consume everything. We expect our churches to fill us up and then to send us out. We don't think about how we come and actually be part of, of what God is doing in our churches. Rather, we view our churches as something we consume. We come and we get something out of it. And so one of the ways that we are, we are, we are drawn into our culture is through consumerism, is that we treat our relationships, we treat everything based on what we get out of it. We even fill our spaces, we fill our houses, our closets, our things that distract us from reality. One of the things, I, I just read an article this week. It was about how um, there's a lot of large stores um, like Macy's and JCPenney's that are closing stores around the United States because people are not purchasing um, goods as many goods anymore. And so what they discovered is that while Americans aren't purchasing as many clothes and whatnot anymore, what they are purchasing are is entertainment. And so rather than being um, consumers of good, what we're becoming consumers of entertainment. And while I think, you know, okay, now people are spending money on experiences, which I, I guess in some ways is better than clothes you don't need, but we are still consuming ways to fill us up, ways to entertain us, maybe even ways to distract us. And so we are in a consumer culture, and and culture keeps wanting us to push us and move us and pulling us to go and consume more, take more of this, because it's about what you want and you need to feel good at any cost. 
The second way our culture is pushing us is to sexual freedom. And that we can use our bodies however we see fit. That we don't need to exercise self-control. We've moved that there is no necessarily right and wrong what you want to do with your own body. And that your sexual needs, your desires are above all. Which is anti the biblical view of sexuality because we're supposed to view sexuality as a gift and, and that gift is expressed between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And it's not about the man getting what he wants and the woman getting what he wants, but it's about giving mutually to one another. And so in our, in our sexual freedom that we can do whatever we want with our bodies, we can do whatever feels right, we are losing the gift of sexuality. We're losing the gift from God. And so our culture continues to push us towards this. And the third, the third way that I believe we are being pulled um, into culture because we're not being discipled is through revenge. You see, revenge is how we go about justice. You see, we as a culture, we have no theology. We have no theology of forgiveness. It's all about justice. And while scripture certainly talks about social justice and, and righting wrongs and looking out for the weak, and that is all well and good, but one of the things we do not talk about, we do not talk about as a culture, is forgiveness. That, that we would actually forgive our enemies for hurting us. Rather, we are so bent on justice and the only way that we can feel peace is to watch somebody else suffer for what they have done to us there has been so much terrible stuff in the news just this week there was a mass um, murdering by a terrorist in nice france there were cops murdered in dallas uh, we just found out that that there were more cops murdered in Baton Rouge, and then there were, and then there's some innocent lives that have been lost at the hands of those who have authority and power, police officers. And so, in all this, we have two sides that are yelling, "It's their fault," and we have another side that's yelling, "No, it's their fault." But we don't want to acknowledge one another's humanity. We don't want to acknowledge one another's own brokenness and offer up forgiveness. You see, when we look at Jesus, that's, that's the model that we're, we're given, is grace and mercy. And if it, these people are angry at those people, and those ping, people are angry at these people, and the only way for it to be right is if they suffer the same atrocities that we suffer, that's not justice. We call that revenge. And, and we as Christians, we get caught up in this and we're being pulled into this. The only way to write things is through revenge rather than the model that we see through Christ, which is grace and mercy and peace. You see, we need to be discipled and we have a big job because we need to make followers of Christ ourselves. And if we are not making disciples, someone or something else will. 
we as Christians, we do a lot of complaining in the world, the direction of this world and our culture. And, and friends, there are definitely things to grieve. There are definitely things to be upset. There is righteous anger that we should have. But maybe we, we as believers, we as Christians, we need to see it as the ever-pressing need to live out our call to go and make disciples. In many of our churches, it used to be cultural for people just to walk in the door. Right, People used to just come on Sunday mornings. Church was a cultural thing. And, and, and what we've seen over the last 50 years is a decline in churches. We've seen a decline in church attendance. While we see mega churches and large churches, but overall what we have seen is the decline of a culture that goes to church. And now many people were saved and, and came and became followers of Christ, active followers, disciples of Christ, um, in over the last you know few hundred years where, where it was a cultural norm to come to church. And praise God, God used churches in mighty ways. But you know what we didn't really have to do in that time was go and make disciples because people were coming to us. But friends, that's not the case anymore. People don't just walk into the doors of our churches. And so we as a culture, especially here in the Western world, we have not really done a very good job of going and making disciples, going and making followers of Jesus. I'm not talking about going and getting people to pray a prayer and accept Jesus and then one and done. No, but actually doing the hard, nitty-gritty work of making disciples, getting into the interior lives of people and really loving people where they are and leading them to walk with Jesus. Sometimes we have the attitude or that we're going to go and and go and make disciples for God. I'm going to go and do this for God. I'm going to go do this ministry for God. I'm going to run this ministry for God. I'm going to do my job for God. But what happens is we we begin to develop this attitude that we're just going to do things for God, but we forget that God is actually with us. That the, the act of making disciples is not something that we go and do for God, that we do independently, but we actually do it because God is already present. God is with us. If you go back to ver- the very beginning of Matthew, the, the name of Jesus is what? It's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we get to the very end of Matthew, and what is the promise um, in the, that we read earlier, that for I am with you always. So God is not inviting us to go and make disciples for God, but we're, we're invited to go and do this with God. And so when we, when we realize that God is with us, that God is present with us in the act of making disciples, we should be encouraged because we have the God who has power and authority on our side, sending us to go and make disciples, and God is already at work. We just have to be open and willing and aware because we, we can do a lot of complaining about this world and our culture, but if we but we need to believe that Jesus is at work right here and right now and that we are invited to participate. 
So I want to I want to ask leave you with these two questions today. Where is God opening up doors for you to be discipled? Where is God opening up doors for you to go and be discipled? Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's somebody in your church. Find someone who has been walking with the Lord a long time and say, teach me. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a friend. And then if you struggle with that, ask, what's getting in the way? Is it pride? Is it that somebody might actually see your faults and see you for who you really are? Is it this individual mentality that I can do this on my own? So where is God opening up doors for you to be discipled? So that you can walk with Jesus. So that you can grow in the Lord. And our, my second question is where is God opening up doors for you to disciple someone? Who are those people in your path? Who are those people that weigh heavy on your heart? Who are those people that you find that you just need to be more intentional with? Who are those people that you need to invite out for coffee or invite into your home? We need to be actively looking for those places that God has already ordained. God is already working. And where is God opening up doors for you to disciple someone? Our call, our, our, what Jesus calls us all to do is to go and make disciples. This is not something that just missionaries do. This is not something that just pastors do. But this is the call for all believers. Now, Jesus doesn't paint a picture that you're going to go to some foreign land or that you have to move to some, some other place to do this. He just says, go and make disciples. And so that means that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, maybe it just starts, maybe it's as simple as discipling your kids. That being a leader in your family. But wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has called us all to make disciples. In our workplaces, in our families, in our recreational activities, God has put people in our path to minister to, to make followers of Jesus. So therefore, go and make disciples. Go in the grace and peace and knowledge of Christ that he has gone before you, that he has already preordained. He's already at work in the lives of the people that you are already around. Let us go and respond to the call to go and make disciples. Have a blessed week.